All right, Matthew Palmer, mm-hmm. how are you going? Good morning, Rob, Robert, Sheehan. Good morning, it's, it's evening. It is evening. We're talking about sleep tonight. Uh, yeah, it is going to be. I'm well, looking forward to it. Sleep's welcome, an interesting topic. Welcome to your podcast, Robert. Yeah, thank you. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like it's... I'll be the, I'll be the recurring host probably, but mm. I'd like to think there'll be a few, few recurring guests, mm-hmm. people that the audience can get to know. Mm-hmm to hear hear from on a regular basis uh and you are on the second episode so it's still very fresh and uh look there's room there's room for growth and who knows who knows where we will go who knows who we will be speaking to on our podcasting journey right the beginning right number one is this number one this is number two this is number two you are number two which doesn't sound great but number two is fine yeah. It should be good. What have we got? What do we want to talk about? Well, there's several things that I think would be good to talk about. Uh, being a PE teacher, mm. as you are, I think the AFL draft is a good one. Mm. A, a big Giants fan, as we both are. Mm-hmm. Uh, be it uh, draft, the draft coming up, but but more so the trade period. Mm. Uh, Sleep's another one. In regards to mental health, it is Mental Health Week, I believe. Yeah, it's Mental Health. It's World Mental Health Day today. Right. Across the world. Funnily yeah, enough, okay. how do yeah, they organise yeah. that? Do they just who oh, who organises well, this? It's a good question. Who organises a specific day? Yeah, is it the World Health Organisation? Are they doing it with and everyone just agrees? Yeah, I and don't know. Well, it can't be it can't be one government, can it? Well, you maybe well, the UN what's happening, sets up something. What's happening? World Mental Health Day in Angola, or well, when you say World Mental Health Day, we know it's obviously not World Mental Health Day. Because there are, there are a couple of countries that I can think of off the bat that they're not, they're not too fussed about people's mental probably, health. Yeah, they're really, probably not too much fuss made about it in, in other countries, you might <laughs> no, say. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think, uh, oh, as, we said, as we said, sleeps, I think sleep's a relevant topic, talking about mental health. Mm. And, uh, and the other thing I'd like to touch upon later on is, uh, is the material that you've, you've been reading on World War II. Right, yes, I okay. Believe. Yes, which is a, a personal, a personal interest. It's a little, little journey that I was, yeah. I, I was not expecting. Yeah, the little discoveries that I wasn't expecting. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about that, about that and, and hopefully down the track, it may be that we can, we can attract someone onto the podcast that, that has some expertise in, uh, in World War One or Two mm. history mm. and can, uh, can enlighten our viewers, mm. our listeners, listeners and viewers. Be this a well, there'd be plenty of things to talk podcast. about in terms of war and the outcomes well, look, of war. It's a big, it's a big how topic, war is recorded and how it, the emphasis yeah. placed throughout history and those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So should be an interesting should show. Should be yes. Now, AFL draft. There's one question that I like to ask, and I keep saying draft. AFL trade period. Mm. They've been very active this week. Well, I know that the Giants are under calorie uh, salary calorie sap salary cap pressure. Mm. But the, the logic I find, I find odd and, I, and I, don't, I don't like the idea of mm. trading established players for draft picks. Mm. Now, obviously, there's constraints with, with how much financial um, freedom you have. Mm. So you can't indefinitely keep spending on these quality players who can make more money elsewhere. I get that. But it, it seems to me if, if you're pushing for a, a win in your premiership window if you're identifying the fact that you've got a certain number of years to win a to win a premiership and you've got players that are 
quality, like Dylan Shield. Mm. Gee, getting rid of them before oh. their contracts up for a um, for a draft pick, which mm. so you take Will Setterfield number five. That's a that's a high value pick. Mm. He's he's done nothing. He's been injured, and so they've they've got nothing out of him. Mm. Same with say Jared Pickett. He went at number six or seven a couple of years ago. Mm. Was there for a season and gone. gone. Now those they're high value draft picks. Tom Boyd. They have done Tom Boyd. Number they've one. done nothing. Gone. Nothing for the club. Mm. So if you're looking at the if you're looking at the net value of draft picks, you could argue that there's, I mean, obviously you're going to get good players and and you have to play, t- pick players from the draft, but the value of an established player who has proven themselves at AFL level surely is greater than than a pick that, well, that may not eventuate. Particularly when you're losing someone like Dylan Shield, who, you know, what, hundred games for the Giants. Bit over 100 mm. games for the Giants. Well, he was all Australian in 2017. Mm. So you lose a play Quality like that, and player. what do you pick up? You pick up a play that's going to take minimum two, three, four years to develop. You know, you get a play like a player like Aiden Bonner, who's done well, mm. but he's not at his best. So no. it'll be another couple of years. Yeah, there's off. a lot of there's a lot of, and, and the, the thing I think that the Giants are got to be concerned about is that the number of young players they've got hitting the, you know the the 100 game mark mm. is does that equate to the degree of injuries they've had over the last two seasons mm. you know you're not the other clubs that are not expansion clubs have seen you know got one or two players of that age who are getting to 100 mm. and they're playing well because they're around established very well established um, teammates experience mm. that is all around them so but when the Giants have got so many young ones, they seem to be pr- quite injury prone. Yeah. And they lose say Griffin. They lose Griffin as well. Well, yeah, well, he's gone. He's old, but he's. he's so gone. this season we lose Griffin, Shield, Setterfield. Setterfield. Yeah, gone. Setterfield Lob. gone. Yep. And what do we pick up? Just draft picks. Is Lobber is Lobber dead set? Is oh, he, he's is he gone? From what I've heard, he's the West Coast he's picked up Freo. another ruck. Picked no, he's up going a, to Freo. Oh, he's going to Freo yeah. now, is he? Yeah, right. Wow. So I just don't. I don't see how. Obviously, they've got a. They've got it a. It depends on the. Uh, there's a lot of things in, in play that are just unpredictable, right? Mm. So you trading draft picks could be a great decision because mm. the draft itself of that year is a gun draft. Yeah. Like you think of the draft of, you know, Hodge, um, and um, <laughs> mind blank, but. Judd and mm. um, you know all that sort of that sort of colors. awesome draft mm. they're talking up this draft as one of the best in the last few years yeah but how do you know then there's that the injury factor yeah but then, then away from you're picking up most interstate players too so yeah they get to Dylan Shields age now and he's, he wants to move home yeah and that's the thing you get a great draft so you might get to but how many players are you gonna get in each show maybe one or two quality players and then what, you keep them for four years and yeah, then offload them Yeah, and then, they, then they're gone. Like, how many draft picks have the Giants shipped out in recent years? Well, how many, how many Giants players who are not, who have been supported by the Giants and had their apprenticeship with the Giants are now playing finals football for other clubs? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Collingwood just had three of them in, in a grand final yeah. losing side. Um, and you could understand it if we'd won a couple of flags, like your Hawthorne or Sydney, who have been... We haven't made the grand final. We've had two prelims, mm. 
and then then just falling short of the prelims. So it's not like we've got the the history to stand on that mm. it's it's worked for us. Not, it, I, what, I, how, what, how, what do you think in the club at, of Dylan Shield at the moment? Like, well, is he not? It doesn't seem like they're they're trying well, to keep him. I think the logic him. was. I think the logic was these guys are leaving when their contracts up. They've made that clear. Mm. So the the logic is right. Well, we keep them for another year, and then get, get nothing. Get very little yeah. for them, or we lose them a year before we, you know, and get some sort we, of compensation. We, yeah, and, mm. and get something back. But the problem is, as I said, you've only got a limited number of years in your premiership window. Mm. They lose Dylan Shield and Rory Lobb. I mean, you could argue that Setterfield's unproven and still young, but Shield and, and Lobb. So at this moment we talk about. The, the Mumford um, yeah. res- resurrection. Yeah. Will it happen? Well, sure. I mean, I love Mummy as much as anyone, but surely you can't be relying on him surely as your number one. Y- as his second as ruck, one ruck. Because you, you and I are both Dawson Simpson fans. Yeah, and I think you'd want to be going to the season with, with Big Dawson as your number one, but surely they need someone else. I mean, you can't rely on Mummy, surely. He's in a bit of the... Um, the Mumford uh, mould, isn't he, old Dawson? Yeah. Big, strong. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm on my phone at the moment. I'm trying to find... There was talk today that there are also Melbourne clubs interested in the Mumford factor. Yeah, well, he'd have to go through the rookie draft, That's which right. means the Giants wouldn't have exclusive rights to him. Mm, it's a risk. Well, so he, he has said he only play for the Giants. How would that work? Gets well, you can't. By. You can't say that. It's like a, it's like a draftee saying that they're only going to play in a Melbourne club. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, you can. But and this is the Maybe other problem with the draft now is that essentially they have that power because hmm. what they say to the the club officials is, well, you keep me for two years, I'll come straight back down. I won't renew my contract. So what, what what's the point in any club taking someone like that? Well, yeah, you don't really want to get yourself into a Cam McCarthy situation again, do you? Where well, he, he renewed just goes his contract. Home and he renewed his contract, but. You don't even have to... It didn't I mean, want to play for play the club. Two years. They yeah. were strong to, to make a statement, but they yeah. got nothing for him the year after. He didn't play yeah. football back in WA. No, it's a difficult thing. And, and despite despite how the system works, the players have a lot of power for that exact reason. Oh, and if yeah. they make it clear at the start of their careers that they're not staying in Melbourne... What do you think of the rumours so of, not a, staying out of a mid-season draft or trade yeah, period? Yeah, we're talking about Gee. a mid-season rookie draft. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I don't mind that concept because you're not snaring players from other clubs. Mm. It means that if... I, I See, I quite like it as a Giants fan because, say, this season or the last season, we were crippled by injuries. Mm. You pick up a few good kneeful players, that maybe yep. boosts your stocks a bit and creates a bit of competition for your established yeah, players. Yeah, I wonder how that would affect the premiership, you know, with... You know, the the, the durability of a, of a list, you know, mm. and how... How good your list is, yeah. The all the plan that goes into this list for this season, yeah. When you can just change what you need half a yeah. year later, I like having a list and seeing how it goes for the year. Puts yeah. a lot more pressure on the football department to make wise yeah. choices in the but, in the, but the outset. Again, it's not Injury like you, it's not. not like you you are pulling players from other clubs. You'd be getting players from your reserve side. Yeah, so for sure. That, that's the kind of level of that. It's not like the Premier League where you, you can take players from your rival clubs. I would think that those players are probably players that should be in your normal list anyway, your established yeah, list. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, I'm hoping that how many Giants days left? A couple up. of days left? And yeah. um, Hopefully they pick up. My hope is that they pick up a couple of mature age players who have proven themselves. Maybe you get your journeyman like Dawson. They can add a bit of value to the club, but have proven at that level 
and uh, mature enough to be able to stay in a city for a mm. prolonged period of time. Well, there's not really there. anyone being talked about, though, is there? No. I haven't heard I haven't any names linked to the Giants. No. Back well, to the Giants. The whole point is that they can't afford anyone because of this calorie... Why do I keep the saying calorie 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 The calorie sap. The calorie sap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Swans look all right. Swans, uh, well, at least they look a bit more active than the Giants. Yeah. I don't know what the... I don't really know what they're doing. It's... But yeah, well, time will tell, won't it? Yeah, they, they was looking good when they were looking at Darcy Moore from Collingwood, mm. but yeah. he's off the table now. Well, as I said, time will tell, and we'll see. Probably the, when, most, uh, well, probably the most exciting thing is that Hawthorne is just nowhere, mm. and I think I read an article today that there was something along the lines of finally we might see Hawthorne mm. <laughs> dropping down the table, yeah. which is exciting for a lot of fans. Yeah, who don't like Hawthorne? Well, you can never quite predict it, can you? But mm. Yes, time will tell. Mm. Now, World Mental Health Day. Mm. What does that mean? What What is that? Well, it means that the ABC are running a whole bunch of shows on ABC Three and ABC Normal about mental health for starters. Now, I don't I don't watch the ABC mm -hmm. somewhat deliberately, but <laughs> how would you say they present the problems with mental health, and what kind of solutions do they? offer up in terms of dealing with it? Well, it seems to be a, bit, a big push by the, by the ABC. I mean, it's all over Triple J as well. Mm. I haven't really taken note on the angle that they're going for, which is doesn't look unreasonable and it looks pretty standard down the line. Mm. It seems to be heavy this year around, very heavy on young people's mental health. Mm. Well, I did tonight over pizza. We as a family eat pizza for dinner in front of the television. That's just, just want to put that out there as mm. a topic for discussion on you still later podcast. Despite despite my there we go, despite my earlier instructions, like Dan, you've, you've <laughs> transgressed. Tapping. tapping. <laughs> um, Operation Out had a um, a mental health uh, super episode tonight, which hang is on, very so good. before you keep going. So hang on, so pizza in front of the TV. Pizza that, in front of the a, TV as a family, yeah. That's a bit so of a relaxer, isn't it? Well, it's just a bit of an informal meal, isn't it, really? Mm. Anyway, anyway. Um, Operation Ouch did a, I think I was surprised at. Such a mainstream show for young people. Mm. Haddon's age, you know, my son, 10, 12. That sort of age group aimed at already talking about mental health mm. in young people. Mm. Very related to medical, medical answers for mental health questions. Right. Adrenal glands and more stress and mm. being able to release the stress so it's not a constant sort of thing. So a lot of talk about what you eat, how much you exercise, how much you get leisure time and rest time, that sort of stuff. See, um, I wonder how, how beneficial that is, talking to young people about it as opposed to speaking to adults about it. Mm. Not that I think the advice is implicitly wrong. I think that's that's correct and that's the angle that you want to look at. You know, diet, exercise, screen time, mm. all those yep. common factors. But is it is the push that you want to be making is, is are you directing that towards young people, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds? Are are you trying to educate parents so that they can implement those um strategies I guess for their children yeah I think the show is probably the same with the kids really but mm. but I mean the ABC do a lot on 
on mental health. You know, I would assume that they had Australian story. It was a mental health one, and the other night, and um, a whole range of different things. Mm. Building awareness, I suppose. But it's a bit of a hot topic today, isn't it? It's a bit more prevalent than say when I was growing up. Mm. And well, the thing is, it, is, is, it, is it more prevalent, or is it? Yeah, just, it is. Is, no, it it is. More, is it just more visible and spoken about? And no, I think it is. Well. I think it is more prevalent. I think there's there's several methods by which you can test that, and and one is, uh, I guess, self-reporting. People acknowledging uh, themselves that there's more anxiety. But aside from that, statistics like hospital admittances for self-harm has gone up mm. dramatically for for teenagers. So if you're looking at not just self-reporting. Uh, and analysing your own feelings, but looking at, um, you know, I guess real life effects of that, which is taking some action mm. and needing to be treated for it. So, if you use that as a metric, then yeah, it is it is going up in real terms, not just. Um, so that's the one, one question: is is it is it is it actually going up in real terms, or is it just been reported more? in real terms well you, you know, could look at it more more teenagers are harming themselves that's, that's, you, you that's, that's correct that yes yeah. for sure i wonder how prevalent it was back in the 80s and 90s that people didn't know about it and just dealt with it themselves yeah potentially but, but i think but I, I, is, I don't it, think it is like the there is this culture at the moment that is it's it's very you know in your face with young people yeah we're, we're doing some stuff well, in class at the moment with my my PA, one of my PE classes and hmm. and the kids overwhelmingly in a survey of what the what the health um, what they thought the health issues are for the predominant health issues for young people are uh, predominantly it was things linked to mental health hmm. anxiety depression body image and mental health related to eating disorders and those sorts of things predominantly the number one health issue of through their eyes, their, four, their well, 14 I think, year olds. I think, I mean, I think that's that's what you would expect. I mean, we live in an incredibly affluent society where healthcare is the best that it's ever been in the history of the world. So I, I don't think there'd be any question that mental health is, is a significant factor, is a significant issue, I, I guess, health-wise. Um, and, I, and I don't think it's inexplicable that that is... That, that is happening I mean with I think there's several there's several factors that have led to the the increase in mental health um, being being a problem or getting worse uh, and and so I, I don't think I, I'm not surprised by that by those statistics none surprise me and I think um, social media has played a big role in that and I've seen graphs that show a uh, a, a noticeable or an overt spike in um, in mental health issues. I think around 2012, 13, which is when Facebook was introduced. And so, since social me media has become as prevalent as it is, there's been a dramatic turn in how people view themselves. And obviously, a lot of anxiety and depression is is the result of how people see themselves compared with their peers. And social media is something that amplifies that often in um, in really misleading ways. Well, it becomes a vehicle for whatever you want to say. And if what you want to say and project is not helpful to people, 
Well, there's several there's several things in my mind because you've got you got the element of people are people around you are always projecting projecting their their best selves. So people don't post about the bad days. You don't see photos of the meals that weren't nice or the bouquet of flowers that didn't arrive. Well, you only see when the good things are happening. Well, let's well, let's be honest. There are people out there who who do who contribute. No, who, who do contribute to. Uh, you know, they do say things that are bad in their life, you know, that, well, you know, I've had a really hard day or something like that. But they're the ones that you just forget, right? Yeah. You just swipe past and, them at and the And that would be the exception, yeah. See, that would be the you exception. Know, this person's just looking for attention. Yeah. And I'm not gonna, even going to yeah. bother right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, and, how and you, that's how you view those people, whether or not it's, it is a self, not like an attention-seeking thing or whether there's genuine people calling for help. Well, if, if it is, roll your eyes and move on. See, I think there's yeah, and and you're right, and I think there's probably a reason for that. That the there's probably a, a bit of maybe a residual attitude of you take care of your own problems, and that the the, the nature of social media is it's very public. Mm. So it's I think there's still an attitude that it's okay to make other people feel happy with the things that you're doing, but you don't want to bring everyone's mood down by saying how bad your life is particularly if it's repetitious. Well, it does bring the mood down. That's why people yeah. move on. Yeah. Because if you're trying to project life's positive and good, we probably d- we, we do live in a world that, in a society that's set up itself to try to flee from hardship as, as yeah. a, and make life as easy as it can be and to, and to avoid hardship rather than wrestle with it. See, so as you yeah. do that, as you're projecting these great things in life, when hardship does come, you're quick to run over it and avoid it or to neglect it, not show it. Mm. Because who's going to like that sort of stuff? Yeah. And, and that, yeah. that's attached to your identity and, and how popular you are on well, I think, and your value as a person. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely the avoidance of hardship is, is a definite feature of our society. But, but the other thing I think in terms of social media is there's only so much... There's only so much you can take on board. And if you have, you know, 400, 500, 2,000 friends on Facebook and you're scrolling through your feed and, and let's say, I mean, the reality is I would say that most of your life is going to be worse rather than better. It's not like the majority of your life is great interspersed with a few hard times. It's, it's probably, I'd say, the opposite, if anything. And if you're getting, you know, 800 people regularly posting about all the, the rubbish that they're putting up with and the difficulties they're going through, how much of that can you really absorb? Mm. And what can you do about it? Mm. I mean, what do you, you, you comment on everyone's thing? I think there's maybe that, that sense of awareness of not wanting to... Yeah, I don't know. But I, I think also there's probably an element of it, it improves your social standing if things are going well for you. So you don't want to present the image of I'm not in control... I'm a, I'm a victim, I'm weak. And so you, you post the positives. Mm. And then the problem is, if you are going through hard times and you see everyone else in a, in a similar either social or, or life situation to you, people that you would expect would be going through the same kind of emotions, you know, new parents or full-time workers or, or uni students, whatever it may be, and you're struggling with your internal issues and then you're seeing everyone else in your similar situation having this you know great time i think that then is a 
is, is difficult to take. Maybe you lose a bit of that sense of solidarity or... Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? The way that the impact that social media has on how people relate to one another. Mm. Because you would say that for those people who... Let's, we are sort of basing this in a mental health discussion right now, right? Mm. So if you've got a person who is, is very, very active on social media and is having a hard time with mental health of some description and chooses to post that, mm. you've got a range of people who just flick past it, don't want to know about it. Yeah. You do have probably those those minority group of sympathisers who will add words, superficial words of comfort yeah. <laughs> down or do whatever. And so, and maybe there might be some helpful things that arise. I suppose that there is a platform where it's possible that there may be some things that may be said that are helpful. But the fact that somebody is is walking through, is living with a mental health issue and chooses to take that to social media as a way of yeah. therapy is probably a bit concerning. Well, you would hope yeah. that that's happening in the context of other things that are going on for them that's mm. helping them through those with this issue. You'd think so, but the other... And not in isolation. The other issue I foresee in that is that you, you can't really be comforted online by someone who you can't see or hear. Mm. I think a, a lot of how we interact with people, and this is probably one of the other issues with social media, is that it's done purely um, linguistically or, or through not even speaking. Oh, so it's, just but it's just verbal communication, right? Well, well, so we've removed the non-verbal. We've well, replaced it with em emojis. Well, it's not even, it's not even verbal. It's written. So, I mean, when you speak to someone, even if it's over the phone, you can hear tone in their voice, you can yeah, hear so compassion, we would, we would talk about So when we talk about communication, we're, the, the tone and the volume and that sort of thing is not verbal communication. That's no. non-verbal. That's a non-verbal yeah. aspect, yeah. aspect of communication. So verbal is, just, is literally just words, yeah. either written or spoken. Yeah. Um, and so when you have social media effectively tries to remove or does remove non-verbal communication from an existing relationship yeah um what have what have you got well, maybe what 20 20 or 30 percent of an effective message yeah it's very um, little it's very little. yeah and so you could I mean, you can see social media's way of trying to introduce ways where to counteract that loss of non-verbal communication well, like the emoji yeah or, we'll think like of the it, gif yeah. or something and, and like that and that that cheap uh, i mean that cheapens things and i, I think it, if you think of it as if you're, if you're having a hard day, something's, something's going on, you've had some difficulty that you've had to overcome, and you have one person, say a family member, a good friend, see you, see you struggling, has a chat to you, you see the, the sadness in their face reflecting your emotions, so you, you see the empathy, they can put an arm around you or even just you know, a pat on the back, and you can see it in their face that's going to mean more than 20 people saying, hey, hope you're okay on, online. And, and I don't think you can... To, you, a, you normal, can't not to a normal person, right, who has grown yeah. up with, with that sort of... But I, I don't uh, think it's even like... Relating uh, to people. Yeah. But if you have not... If our generation of young people are growing up and the predominant way they're relating to one another now is verbally through texting or through Snapchat or through social media, there is this serious gap in how we ought to be relating mm. non-verbally yeah, to one another. Yeah, I think that's the key, how we ought to be. 100%. And, and if we don't, if we're not teaching and, and learning these skills, because at the end of the day, uh, maybe perhaps when I grew up, when you grew up, Rob, we're talking about this is the only way we could relate to people. Mm. 
now there's this other way that's going in the way. So in talks of mm. experience about how it is to care for people in the moment by your mere presence rather mm. than just sending something that into space that hopefully has is you're hoping is going to do more than what it actually will do yeah. because it's just words. Yeah. See, I don't think it's even... A, I think I'd want to clarify the idea that we need to teach people how to relate to one another because I think it's, an, it's innate in, in, our, in our brains. I think the human brain is set up to interact socially through face-to-face and there's, um, there's studies that, that show how we understand someone by reading their face. And this is one of the issues with the full, oh, I don't want to, is it the, the kneecap? Is that the whole face covering? The Islamic, what's the one that covers the whole face? Well, the I don't know. I don't, yeah, Whatever I know what it you is. mean, yeah. I but don't there's know an inherent problem in that because you take away the opportunity to read someone's face. Mm. And there's studies that I, was, that I came across that showed, what, what they did is they took um, hundreds or thousands, it may have even been, of photos uh, basically of different frames of someone's emotion changing. And, uh, and it was to do, this was to do with sleep. But the way you interpret emotion is by how you read facial expressions. And, and this study was looking at how a lack of sleep affects your ability to correctly read people's emotions. Mm. And there was a different interpretation. The people that were sleep deprived mistook uh, certain emotions. So, so generally the, the emotion that they gravitated towards was anger. So they would mistake a neutral or even positive face for one that was angry, or they would often mistake fear for anger. So they showed them different facial expressions. But the, the, the point is that you need to be able to read people's faces to get a sense on their emotion. And obviously you lose all of that uh, online mm. typing. And, and obviously words can still convey some meaning, that it's not like you, know, you, can't, it's not like you, you, you take away nothing from what they That's say. That's right, yeah. But as you said, maybe 10, 20%, and it's nothing the same as speaking to someone uh, in the flesh, but not even on the phone, mm. where you can still hear tone and, and yeah. pitch. And well, when you hear tone and pitch, and when you're seeing someone and interacting with them, it also brings into things like the in, you, can, you can far greater read the intention of what mm. they're saying. Yeah. And, and also it brings in, into the conversation, into the... Um, into the relationship, the, the character of the person as mm. they're telling what they need to tell or communicate. So yeah. and they, we know that they are important things in communication, people's character and the intention of yeah. which they're bringing across in order to convey some sort of message. Yeah. Now, if we're talking mental health, we've got to think seriously about how our young people relate, right? Mm. I, I can't see it going any other way then, parents taking more responsibility for what their kids are allowed to do at home in regards to screens. Because teenagers are not gonna have the self-control to monitor their own behavior correctly. You can do as much as you want in terms of high school intervention, but, but my opinion is that ultimately it has to come down to policies in the home. And parents have to take responsibility for the amount of time that their kids are able to access screens um, and to take more responsibility in terms of who their kids are speaking to and, and how often and because the teenage brain is not developed mm. and so they they can't be expected not to say there's an excuse and you'd hope that, that everyone is still showing responsibility or taking responsibility for themselves particularly when they are educated on the dangers of it but 
surely it comes down to parents taking responsibility for their children to some degree as to let's moderate this to some extent. Yeah, Not I to say remove it altogether, but we, it needs to be moderated. Well, yeah, surely. I think you can also see that young people want people to, they want people to interact mm. with them. I think at the end, you know, in their essence, young people want the teacher mm. who's interested in them. They want the parent that's going to be at home and do stuff with them. Yeah. They want their friends to be around. That, well, young kids want boundaries as well. If, yeah, and if your style of parenting is to sit them in front of a screen, yeah. At, at an early age mm. um, in order to mon- to manage behaviour yeah. as a reward or as a placating thing or whatever it is, then it's no, well, I think it's we also no accident to, that those screens yeah. just changed in different formats throughout their, their life but I think, become dependent on those. I think there those. needs to be some differentiation between screens as well because I think that TV is markedly different from any other device in that a TV is obviously a screen but it's, it's got a limited interactive well, it's, ca- capacity right. compared to the other forms you don't have that personal interaction with it and even say watching a tv show as opposed to playing a computer game which a lot of people wouldn't differentiate between you have no control of a tv show you're passive you are you are consuming information but you're not participating in, it in the same way that you do with a computer game or with social media and so i think there's, there's a big difference between watching a story on TV and engaging in a story as a computer game. Uh, making decisions yeah. to, of where the story goes and how it plays out. Or when, you're, when, you, when you are making decisions, which is, for some people, the young people playing games are pretty... <laughs> decisions that you and I will probably never make in normal no, everyday life. Right. Um, now, I did want to touch on, on a book I've been reading talking about me- mental health. It's, right. it's called The Coddling of the American Mind... How good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure, and it's I'm only part way through, but there was so 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 who's written this book? So this is by uh, by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. And who who are are these guys? Well, Greg Lukianoff, I think he was a I think he was a lawyer, a a First Amendment lawyer, I believe, and he's now the and I probably have this wrong president or or some kind of uh, maybe started this this organisation called. Fire, which is basically a free speech organisation for university campuses. I think their, their basic aim is to advocate for free speech on university campuses. And Jonathan Hyde is a is a is a professor at I think New York New York University. Of uh, he's a professor of psychology, and I think his his field of expertise is morality. And he's written a few books, but this one um, struck me as a good one because so it's, uh, yeah, tell us why. Well, this it's a current is. issue. Well, it's. It looks at predominantly university campuses and how this culture of safetyism is pervading to them to the extent that it's leading to not only huge political polarisation, but increased anxiety um, and, and a lack of resilience and a lack of an ability to deal with uh, adversity in the real world because kids are not given the chance to learn the skills to cope with real world problems when they're young and then they get to adulthood and are left helpless so to speak so it looks a bit at university campuses and then moves on to i think schools now i haven't got up to the section on schools yet Mm. but there was a story that i wanted to read looking at this idea of interpretation on social media right so i'll read it out to you okay a little bit different from what we've talked about not so much about anxiety not Mm. so much but linked in with it 
but pretty scary. And I'll um and I'd I'd like to discuss it afterwards and, okay. and see what your thoughts are. So this book, it's also it's probably good to note this book has come across my airways lately in terms mm. of I was part of some professional development at work and on um on Christian education being in basically indoctrination or mm. um, rather than just perhaps the way it should be done. And this book came up as as, as a good description of. Uh, this cultural moment that we're in with our young people. Yeah. Well, this was this was shocking, and I'm, I'm I keep up to date relatively well with what's the the general the general atmosphere, mm-hmm. I guess, to some degree. But this story was shocking, and I've heard of a few things like this, but I'll read it out. A student named Olivia, whose parents emigrated from Mexico to California before she was born, wrote an essay. This is in, sorry, this was in 2015, so this is only three years ago. Right. Um. Uh, she wrote an essay in a student publication about her feelings of marginalisation and exclusion. Olivia noticed that Latinos were better represented on the blue-collar staff at CMC, including janitors and gardeners, than among its administrative and professional staff, and she found this realisation painful. She wrote that she felt like she'd been admitted to fill a racial quota. She suggested that there is a standard or typical person at CMC and she is not it. Uh, and this is quoted, Our campus climate and institutional culture are primarily grounded in Western white, cis-heteronormative upper-to-upper-middle-class to values. Cis-heteronormative describes a society in which people assume that the other people are not transgender and not gay unless there is information to the contrary. In case you haven't come across that term before. Right. Now, in response to this essay, which Olivia sent in an email to CMC staff, Mary Spellman, the Dean of Students at CMC, sent her a private email two days later. Here is the entire email. Olivia, thank you for writing and sharing this article with me. We have a lot to do as a college and community. Would you be willing to talk with me sometime about these issues? They are important to me and the Dean of Students uh, and Staff, sorry, they're important to me and the staff, and we are working on how we can better serve students, especially those who don't fit our CMC mould. I would love to talk with you more. Best, Dean Spellman. Now, when I saw that, I thought, oh, okay, so there must have been some issue. Um, and it goes on to, to talk a bit about how we interpret uh, ideas mm. and, and intent, as we were talking, uh, as we were talking about. Um, so this is what happened. Olivia posted Spellman's email on her Facebook page about two weeks after receiving it with the comment, I just don't fit that wonderful CMC mould. Feel free to share. Her friends did share that email and the campus erupted in protest. There were marches, demonstrations, demands given to the president for mandatory diversity training and demands that Spellman resign. Two students went on a hunger hunger strike, vowing that they would not eat until Spellman was gone. In one scene, which you can watch on YouTube, students formed a circle and spent over an hour airing their grievances through bullhorns against Spellman and other administrators who were there to circle sorry, who were there in the circle to listen. Spellman apologized for her email being poorly, ward, poorly worded and told the crowd that her intention was to affirm the feelings and experiences expressed in the article and to provide support. But the students did not accept her apology. At one point, a woman berated the dean to cheers from the students for falling asleep during the proceedings, which the woman interpreted as an act of disrespect. But it is clear from the video of the confrontation that Spellman was not falling asleep, she was trying to hold back her tears. 
The university did not fire Spellman, but neither did its leaders publicly express any support for her. Faced with the escalating anger of students, amplified by social media and then by national news coverage, Spellman resigned. Now, there was another example that I gave that was very similar to this, where a, uh, uh, an educator at a different university wrote an email to, I think, uh, to other staff or, or shared it in some form about how the, the staff shouldn't be, telling what stu- shouldn't be telling students what they could wear at a Halloween party. And the same thing happened. There were riots. Her and her husband were harassed. They came to her property uh, and same thing. They had to resign. So kind of crazy, crazy stuff. So let me recap a bit. There's a, there's a student who's got an issue. She's feeling a little bit like she represents a ethnically... Um, Underrepresented. Uh, yep. Um, minority. Minority within the, the college. She airs her views. The dean sends an email basically saying, and I think I've got the intent, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Mm. We hear you. We, let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's try and sort these, this yeah. issue through. But she wasn't happy with that reply. Well, she picked the one, the one e- phrase, even you could say word, that could possibly be interpreted in a different way. Mm. Even though, as I would say, it's not even your... It's commonly... It would be commonly accepted. It's self-evident in that response that her intention was to try and help. Yeah, and she's picked out one thing, almost you'd say, willfully, willfully denying the point of the email, to then deliberately start, um, to, to deliberately foster ignite, to ignite, discontent. Yeah, to set to to to, yeah. to light a, a spark to see, which see, ends up in was, her resignation. If basically. she was genuinely trying to sort the problem out, she would have sent an email back to us saying, "Hey, I'm not sure what you mean by this. I hope it's not what I think." Could you clarify? But she didn't say that. She shared it on a Facebook page with explicit intention of other people hearing about it and other people getting angry, which they did. Mm. Um, and so someone's job has been lost. You can imagine a huge emotional trauma because she tried to help and used one wrong phrase. Mm. Well, not, not even a wrong phrase, but a, a phrase that could potentially be misinterpreted. Yeah, right. And that's, I mean, that's outrageous. But... But again, it's this idea of... And, and so there's more to that than just misinterpreting words on social. I mean, that, that's a bigger problem. There's several factors that are going to that. But I guess the idea that this generation is different. Like, you can't... That would not have happened even 10 years ago. Yeah. So I think something's changing with the generation coming through school now that that is even possible. And that, they're not isolated incidents. That's That's... I wouldn't say widespread in the sense that it's overly common, but there's been multiple instances where something like that has happened and people have lost their jobs. Oh, it is a bit of a... It's, it, is, it is a different generation coming mm. through, a different way of relating, a different way of acting and moving. Mm. Well, what these, what these guys call is they, call, they label it the call-out culture. Right. So you score on social... And, and, the, and the whole thing revolves around social media because that's, that's, I guess, the... Um, the foundation for it it's the it's where it's like the meeting place mm. back in the day yeah the old town hall it doesn't happen if you don't have a meeting place yeah. and social yeah. media is that place and they call it the the call out culture where right. you score social points through through uh yeah through r- raising yourself uh up higher on the the moral ladder 
the ethical ladder. Mm. So if you can call someone out for their poor ethical behavior, it scores you points. So mm. you rise higher because you must be more virtuous than them. Mm -hmm. So the more that you can call out other people, the more or the better you look, the more moral you look, the more virtuous. And so they call it the call out culture in, in which it's seen as a positive and a, an advantageous thing to your reputation to make other people look bad for their moral failings. Right. So it's basically, it, it, it's focused on character assassination. Yeah. Pretty well, the, much. The worse that you can make someone else look, mm. the better you look. Even if, as in this case is clear, it's willful, a willful denunciation of the intention. Now, there's no question in that email that the dean was clearly trying to help. That was obvious, right? Mm. And, and yep. anyone looking at that would know it straight away. But, and, and even, if you didn't, even if you disagreed with that and you thought, well, maybe she was being a bit cynical, the response that the you would think the compassionate or sensible response would be to then reply well, in kind, yeah, a private email. That's right. If can I, you please can clarify? clarify. Yeah. But the response is, well, I can call her out for not responding in a way that I, which I don't know how she was meant to respond. I don't know what she could have possibly done, but to then share it on social media and encourage others to share to to you know foster to stoke the, the fires of, of this so outrage. what do, what what is that how does that story function in that chapter what's the, what's the well chapter i think about? that chapter is looking at um outrage this outrage culture yeah that where that young people feel the need to to be perpetually outraged and to be making other people look bad um and so as i said it's not an isolated incident and there's there's similar ideas of censorship in which um, if, and, and this was where it comes back to, I guess, the fragility of, people's, of young people's mental health or perceived fragility, mm. that if there is someone coming to speak that, that may have offensive ideas, then that becomes dangerous to people. So it's, so it's considered violence to say things that might offend people, in which case the only proper response is to meet that with violence. So there are, again, incidents of controversial speakers coming to campuses and um and and they were there was violent protests so charles murray was one who wrote the bell curve which has has a small section implying that that there may be differences in iq between races and so people he was and that was about i think that was the, the 90s i think i think that was a fair while back mm. could be wrong but it was it was a while ago that book came out and anyway, so he got booked in to speak at a, at a university. No, he wasn't even... He was there to debate someone. So they were getting him and someone else to, to provide a contrary point of view. And, and so uh, they, they booked him in and then the, the room they were booked in was um, disrupted. So the protests were coming in basically yelling to the point where they couldn't, they couldn't speak. So then they moved them to another room, which is meant to be secret. And what they did is these student protesters went around to every room banging on doors listening to the live feed so that they could hear where the noise was coming from till eventually they found them. They had to be escorted out. And the woman who was debating the, <laughs> the speaker that they didn't like mm. was thrown to the ground and was, was injured because of how rough the protesters were. You know, they physically grabbed her. You had at, at Berkeley when Milo Yiannopoulos came, the protesters, you know, rioting. Yeah, Setting yeah. fire to cars. And, and that's because they see it as... If we don't like what you're saying, yes. you are committing violence against people. Uh -huh. 
And so then the proper response is us to meet that with violence. So where, is there any explanation in the book about where this kind of outrage and call-out culture has come from? What's, the, what's been the genesis in, in this sort of sort of? Well, one of the ideas I think has been this, and, and, and I would say it's a mix of different philosophies that have become more prominent. One of them is intersectionality, which came about, I believe, in the, in the late uh, 1980s. I think it was maybe 1989, the term was first coined in an essay by, by a university professor, I can't remember her name. And it's, it's the idea that there is different, everyone is split, it's, a, it's a pretty, you could say it's a, it's a Marxist worldview, right. in which in where everyone is divided in, into different groups. Yep. And there's a line, a dividing yep. line, and you're either above or below it. Mm-hmm. So we would be in almost every category above the line, in that we are wealthy, we're white, we're male, um, whatever other categories will fulfill and then on the the line but so we are oppressors uh-huh. or privileged which is essentially oppressors and then below the line is the oppressed or the disadvantaged so that would be women people of color um uh, uh homosexual or straight's the other one that we would fit into at the top yep. so heterosexual so not heterosexual transgender whatever other categories they've got below the line poor and so um, the more categories you uh, the more categories that you can claim the more disadvantaged you are so we we could claim no disadvantage at all because we fulfill every criteria for privilege yeah whereas someone who is is the opposite to that you know woman who is person of color who might not be heterosexual is completely disadvantaged and then what that gets conflated with is so we, we are then the oppressor class and they are the oppressed. Because if there's disadvantage, it must be because someone's to blame. And so then, then that theory turns into kind of like a Marxist worldview of you've got the oppressed and the oppressors mm. who, who are holding them down. Mm. Now, in regards to where this idea of words being violence comes in, I'm not sure. They probably do explain it um, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly how that's how that's become so prevalent that offensive ideas are. Well, we've lost the actual violence. Really, when when was the last time there was a there was an actual real debate that was hmm. well managed and and done with good intention and hmm. and with respectful hmm. quality without first firstly character assassination. Hmm. And people getting offended by whatever's been said. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard to think when that has, when that's ever, it's yeah. definitely not the case on Q&A because people no. just write it straight away. And well, I think, one of the, I think one of the problems is, and I'll give you an example when I finish this thought, I'll give you an example where it does happen. The, I think one of the things is the, the modern, I would say far left, which I think is fair, the modern far left has equated political viewpoints with moral viewpoints. So the way that it seems to be is there is a right political view and there's a wrong political view. It's not just different. And, and I think um, politics has been too, too greatly conflated with morality. So say with the same-sex marriage yep. debate. Now, that was essentially a political debate, but that was conflated with... Um, moralism. So, if you disagreed 
with that vote, then then you were immoral. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So it's it's wrong to think that. Yeah. Um, and there are, there are other views as well. So transgenderism, you can't disagree politically with the science of it because there's a right and a wrong view to have, and and that's becoming I think more and more widespread, where it, it's not now just one or two issues that that concern what people would say human rights. It's I think it's becoming more widespread politically so that if you disagree with the the left or the far left then it's not just a different political opinion that can be discussed and debated you are you have an immoral opinion so censorship is an appropriate measure because you are doing damage mm. by sharing your opinion so mm. they're not interested in discussion they're interested in censorship which again comes back to this culture of safetyism because they feel like the, the pervading idea is that people are not strong enough mentally to deal with offensive or uh, differing ideas. So they need to be protected by people who are strong enough to shut these evil doers hmm. um, down. It's an interesting thought, isn't it, about the role of politics, the link that mm. politics has with morality at the moment? Because if you, if you can see that society is becoming a fair bit more secular mm. you know there's less middle ground people are yeah. more religious than well, what they were that's right it's very polarising sort of thing so you've got this secularisation that's happening in society where do people go who, if they've rejected uh, a spirituality or the existence of God or as part of their worldview, where do they go to get the answers for morality mm. you would easily see that politics becomes like a religion doesn't it, mm. it, it, it especially when you link it to moral behavior mm. and and the yeah. power to enact um social change yeah um and not just at a law giving level but mm. when you're dealing with a moral conversation it's now feeding into people's values and attitudes and beliefs mm. which is what essentially you need to move if you're going to move social change anyway yeah um, yeah it is an interesting one and you could i mean you could talk a lot more about it i think one of the interesting instances i think recently that's come up has been and again a lot of this centers around america i think they're probably going through it first and i think it's probably going to filter into australia but the, the brett kavanaugh uh you'd say debacle i guess is a fair term for it in America and and it's just it's a bit bizarre for the for the bystander who has no real stake in the situation because other than other than global attitudes I guess because from, from a removed perspective and I mean I, I understand very little about the Supreme Court or mm. how the whole process works so I, I've come in very naively mm. but it, it seems to me to be reduced by this there's a nominee that is a Republican nominee that, that Donald Trump nominated personally. And then these allegations have surfaced 30-odd years after they were alleged to have occurred. But there's been very little corroborating evidence. Plus, there's been FBI thorough, and several, not just one, but several thorough FBI um, checks that have come up with nothing. But people are still outraged that he is that he's been appointed, mm. and 
and from from what I've been able to gather, the people on the left are saying, well, how dare you put someone in this position who is a rapist? Mm. And and they're accusing him one point of gang rape, I think, you know, and 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 which seems shocking. But then the right saying, well, hang on, maybe he did it, but there's no way to prove it. And so how can you operate your country if you forego any kind of checks and balances and due process? So if you're going to say, all right, well, he's guilty on on one testimony that has virtually no corroborating evidence, then you are completely upending the whole judicial system. Hmm. And how is a country supposed to operate when one person's testimony can end someone's career and essentially be in jail, right? If he's guilty, he's going to well, jail. Well, I think the effect on society is a, is a flip between you're no longer innocent until proven guilty, are you? You are guilty yeah. and it's the job to prove you innocent. But, but, but that's an example, I guess. My point there was that's an example of political debate which essentially it seems to be the fact that he was a republican nominee coming from donald trump who people hysterically hate and and so they're willing to upend the entire judicial process because of political disagreement which just shows the extent that that the polarization has has occurred and i I really do hope that that doesn't happen in australia and i love reading either right or left-wing commentators or journalists that seem to be able to sympathise with the other side mm. on different points and, and produce balanced arguments. Well, it seems to be... Finding the common ground's important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that you see less and less of it these days, I yeah. think. Which I think why several things are important. I, mean, I think comedy is really important. Like, I think as soon as you lock up the Joker, as soon as you stop people from... from legally being allowed to poke fun at people mm. or ideas your society is in a fair bit of trouble mm. um, which is again happening in America you've had comedians like Bill Bill Maher's a classic because he's a staunch Democrat staunchly dem- Democrat very left wing and he's been censored from going to universities he's been deplatformed by some universities because he's too offensive yeah and he's on the left yeah so it's just this kind of bizarre well, there's a lot of things that come movement. to mind, isn't it? Is it the, there's the we could talk about the cartoon that was drawn by an Australian cartoonist yeah. about the Serena Williams thing, yeah. which was which quickly gathered um, speed in mm. across the world, didn't it? And mm. I'm not too sure that the the reaction towards it well, was again, completely justified. Is, I don't mm. think it's probably the wisest thing to to have drawn, but. Mm. I don't think it deserved that level of well, it's, outrage. It's one of those. It's one of those. And, and I am white and uh, middle well, class. Your, and your opinion essentially counts for nothing. That's because right. You're it the privileged class. And, you know, I'm not. I'm not here, and I don't understand what happens in America with these well, sorts of cultural discussions either. Yeah. To do with yeah. African American and but again, all those sorts I, of things. I think it comes back to the same issue that was in that email: is that is he? By that, is he accentuating her biological characteristics mm. of being bigger and having bigger lips or, you know, an, an afro or, or whatever it may be? Mm. Is he doing what any caricature, caricature artist would do, mm. cartoonist would do, which is accentuate the existing features, which 
it is unquestionable that that's how people draw cartoons. I mean, any political cartoons, you have Tony O with the big ears and the budgies, yeah, or yeah. Bill Sean with the massive forehead. Yeah. Any cartoonist will do that. Yeah. So that's unquestionable. That's, that's their, their modus operandi. And do you interpret that as he's deliberately making fun of a black woman and he is implying that she's a slave or he is deliberately bringing up images of the, you know, the slave era where... Or do you think, well, no, he's maybe not a racist, he's maybe just accentuating her features because that's what all cartoonists do, and he wasn't impressed by her reaction mm. to the referee's decision, the yeah. umpire's decision. Yeah. And again, what it is, a lot of people assume the worst. He must be a racist, he must be a bigot, he must be looking at the, the um, you know, those... Uh, those slave era pictures and that must be what he's drawing on because mm. it can't be that he's just looking at her, her, her behaviour and again it's this idea of like this woman at the university of leaping to the worst possible conclusion mm. and assuming that that's what's taken place so there's something this week that's happened in New South Wales that has those sorts of under to overtones doesn't it the, you know the Everest mm. stakes or whatever yeah. that's been broadcast all over the Opera House, which for any for all our listeners out there, <laughs> uh, is a horse racing, um, a gambling event essentially that is now marketed on the mm. Opera House with the government's approval. Uh, now a very notable radio broadcaster here in Sydney had a quite a vigorous debate with. Um, a person who was advocating for this uh, marketing strategy, she happened to be a woman. Mm. And part of the the argument going forth was about the nature of his stance and his the words that he used and the rhetoric that he used to engage in debate with her mm. about this issue. Now, I haven't heard the debate. I didn't hear the interview or anything like that. But what I have heard is that he was bullying this person. Mm. The rhetoric is that you can't talk to a woman that way, right? Mm. Which is an interesting kind of thing. When we live in a world where equal rights and equality in standing must result in the giving away or the, the, the doing away of what this attitude actually is, this mm. chivalrous kind of you don't treat a woman like that mm. kind of attitude. That's, yeah. That dies, I think, when mm. we talk about um, equality in everything, mm. right? You can't... Yeah. It, 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 discrimination in anything. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it's just an interesting observation to make in this current sort of how we debate things that we don't necessarily agree with mm. um, because it has come back to this person's, both people really, both people's character yeah. in the way that it was engaged with. It ended up in a protest the other night with people shining lights, I think, on the Opera House to muddy the advertisement that was there. Yeah. Which is... is also humorous because that's right <laughs> makes it more popular that's yeah drawing more attention to it yeah yeah now it's an interesting world we live in and yeah. some of these issues it's 
Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. I don't really have my head around all of these issues either. Mm. Like it's sort of these things we're talking here, aren't we? We're, mm. in, in, in some we're way bantering, that, Matt. We are bantering. This is us bantering, and as it's we not banter, really banter, it's more rambling. There's <laughs> there's there's verbal processing going on too, yeah. right? Um, yeah. As we talk about these these sorts of things, if we were going to banter, it may be appropriate for you right now to tell the story of your beard, and. What where it, where it was before and and how oh, it is now look, for that, all of our YouTube viewers out there who can and see your beard uh, it was, at this moment in time. Well, the YouTube viewers may not. I mean, you can get a sense of it, but and, and I've done my best in the in the week or so that I've had to to remedy the terrible mm. situation that was, and hopefully the the it's not as it's definitely not as Jared McVeigh as what it. it well, this was is what previously. happened. I'll tell you a story, and it was very it was infuriating. And I'm sure anyone who's had a bad haircut would be able to say, I don't really get haircuts anymore. So I'm not too worried about the haircut. But, you've but the beard the trim is... Hmm? Well, this is what... I'll tell you the story. And, and I'll leave you to make your own judgments. I had a fairly bushy beard. And again, YouTube, you probably don't get the full sense of it. There's a little bit of a shadow. But I had a pretty bushy beard coming to the school holidays. And my thoughts were, I haven't been to a hairdresser slash barber in a long time. It's nice to be pampered a little bit. So maybe school holidays, I treat myself sit down in the chair, have someone else cut it, me not have to clean up the, you know, clippings mm. and, you know, have a professional do it. Make sure it's done properly. <laughs> yes. Great. This is great. Perfect is what I way thought. to pamper I was looking forward to on it. your holidays. Yes. Looking forward to it. Agree. Turned up, sat down, all is well. He started with my, I was going to get the hair done, clean up the sides and the beard. Started with hair. Great. Looked good. Was happy. Now my instruction, my explicit instructions were, just take a little bit off the sides, but I want the length at the bottom. Right. Now, I probably had a good inch and a half, maybe yeah. even two inches. It was pretty bushy at the bottom. And I wanted to have a nice, nice, long, not an emperor beard, but a thick, bushy undergrowth. Mm. And, um, and so I said, just clean up the sides, leave the bottom. And I started to get suspicious so, when he started to shave it to what I was say, maybe number one. Right. So it was not only the... It was not only the length that was affected, but then he started to bring it in, chin strappy. So he's he's shaved it right down. I think mm. no, that's not cleaning it up. You're shaving it off. So I've at this, lost at, my this beard. at this point, you're 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 realizing that things aren't going to plan. Uh, what, well, what, what can you do? What's happening now? What's well, going on in your mind? Thing, and this is the other thing. So half the time, I, my head's leaning back so far, I can't really see what's happening. Right. I shouldn't have leaned back. My voice left the microphone. Oh. You'd have to just imagine it. Yep. I was leaning my head back, so I could hardly see. All I can hear is the, the, the whir of the clippers, mm. knowing, knowing what's happening. The death rattle Hoping of the clippers. And then, <laughs> You're not feeling good at this so, point. So he's taken too much off. That's the first thing. Oh, I've lost half my beard, three quarters of it even. Right, right. Then, then I start to feel the little the, the cutthroat, or not the cutthroat, so the little oh, mini like clipper going right down. I'm thinking, hang on, I can feel this going right down my cheek. Mm. So then not only has he shaved the length, but he's brought the line right in. Yes. So I've then got a stupid kind of chin strap kind of thing. Yep. And then he's clipped the, he's clipped the blooming sideburns to, to within a half a centimetre. So I've lost my sideburn, lost any growth on my cheek, and then... I can't say anything because he's got a cutthroat razor. That's right. Him. Cutthroat so razor. What can you do? What you can't do anything at that moment. You're not. You're not. You're not accusing a man of anything. No. When he's got a cutthroat razor. But you don't want. You don't want to bring attention to something you're not no. satisfied with at that moment in time. Well, the other thing is, what can you do? 
He's cut it off. Mm. He's not sticking it back on, is he? Well, it's a few things to note. Firstly, uh, did you bring a picture with you no. to show and the I, person? No. As and I you did think maybe I should. No, he'll know what to do mm. with my instructions. Yeah, well, he, I Big think mistake. that these days, these barbers are artists rather mm. than... Because he's well, going, he's looked at I your, have. he's looked at your face. He's gone, oh, these are things. These, yeah. Oh, gee, this is going to look he great. He does not have the right look. I will fix him up. Yeah, yeah. This is going to look special right now. And the other thing, the, this is the other thought I had in line with that is, he's he's couldn't give two hoots what I've asked him to do. Mm. He's got his preconceived notion of how I should look. He's doing that. Wouldn't yeah. no matter what I said. Yeah. As soon as I've walked in with a beard and said cut it, he's mapped out in his head. All right, I'm going to cut it to number one. I'll give you a this is looking a bit scruffy. scruffy from, this is a bit scruffy for my. He's riding too a bit too high. Up the Your sideburns are way too thick. Yeah. Way too wide. So I'm going to narrow those those bad boys down. This is um. I, I had a similar experience with my hair. Oh yes. Last year, yeah, went yes. to a barber. Your, your I don't, mane. I don't, your mane. I don't trend. I don't really tend to go to the barber mm. often at all. I think I. It's probably twice in the last fifteen years that I've been to one. Before this point, but I had longer hair than what I have now. My boss had casually asked me to cut my hair, and, and which I think is a reasonable expectation with where, my, where it was at at that moment in time. I was part of a, a delegation to a, a different school to help review that school, and I thought I didn't want to embarrass my, my boss who was leading mm. that delegation. So I thought the right thing to do and get a nice mm. cut, you know, you know, just a short back and sides. Let's, yeah. let's just do that. A haircut, look you, a, can, you can just set look, your watch to. That's right. Look a bit professional at the same time. But the guy sort of said that he, he would style it for me. Uh, and he, as soon as, as, I, heard, that, as, soon as I heard those words... You don't want to hear that. They just didn't sound that. good coming someone's from... Someone's got scissors. Now, I, didn't, I, didn't, at the, I don't really know how to engage with a barber. Mm. This is, might be something I have to learn, but I don't know how to have this conversation mm. where you need to... Well, Hang on a sec, I'm not happy with... We don't ha- have expertise. That's right, I don't know what's happening there. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm not really happy with what, what's going on here. Yeah. Do something else. You know, I don't... I, does this offend a barber when, mm. when someone says that or... Mm. I, I, but the other thing is, once they do it, there's no going back. Well, once, once you've paid and you're out the door... Yeah. And, and to, like, I sort of thought, hey, you know, we'll give it a go. Mm. You know, we'll see if it, grow, it, it grows on me, literally. Uh, <laughs> It lasted less than 24 hours before yeah, I... You're taking the clips I, to yourself. I took it, the number five, bang, yeah. and um, fixed it myself. Uh, but I don't know how yeah. to engage with that sort of stuff. Now, at no point, if, if we're thinking about the course of how long have we been on for, I don't even know, the last... We're up to about 70 minutes. Yeah, right. So if we could talk about the last 70 minutes of discussion, at no point in my mind did I think about putting this experience on social media. Hmm. I don't... Look, this is mm. really not... Or berating. No, that's I mean, right. You, you berate him in your personal conversation. Like, that's I'm right. berating Lucky. my hairdresser. But this is no longer personal. It will be public no, soon. But and I'm choosing to leave him nameless. That's right. This barber's identity will remain yeah. um, covert for these reasons. Yeah. But... Because um, this is the thing, how, right? Yeah. Now, in a, in a somewhat serious sense, we're assuming they didn't mean to screw us over. That's right. We're assuming their intention was not to think, how can I totally mess up this guy's beautiful hair and this guy's long you know thick beard yeah they're probably thinking i'll do a good job for these guys well, as we're totally as, screwed it as up, we're walking out the door they, they may well have been thinking one more happy customer wow <laughs> did you see what i did with that guy <laughs> oh that was the, my he cut of will, the day he will not want a long beard that, anymore that's right we'll be seeing we'll be seeing him back here pretty oh. you know he'll be a, he'll be a regular that's right. 
Yeah, no, look, it is a... Yeah, it's, 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 it's strange times that we live in. Hmm. And, uh, and It's definitely not my fallback position. Social media, I mean, I'm, I'm, no. I'm old, right? Yeah. I'm 38 years old. Mm. I'm, I'm definitely... Well, well, you've matured before you've gone through it. That's and right. So that's probably the difference. I'm 20 years beyond... More than mm. 20 years beyond the generation we're really talking about. So this is definitely not my fallback position. But this is their fallback position. Mm. You would think, yeah. from what we hear, you would the, have the children and the teenagers that we teach. If you were 15, you would have probably argued with your boss. But let's say you were forced to cut it. You would have taken a picture of the barbershop you went to and the message would have been can we protest mm. this outrage this is a this is a moral outrage rob <laughs> this is a moral this outrage is, um, i need to call this one out yeah yeah and then your standing would go up your your virtue signaling will have gained you esteem in the eyes of your peers. yeah but that, that, i would think that that also depends on the degree of popularity that I, I already have within True. my if you've only social got 20 media Facebook cohort, followers, cohort, it's probably not going to be a big protest. That's right. If I've got a, it, it completely depends on the other how thing influential I am in other things. Well, that's true. But the other thing that you could do is, and I've seen this, demand a public public apology. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's, I've seen that as well. Imagine that. I wonder if these people. I don't even know if these people have social media themselves. Yeah. But I'm not just not going to do that anyway. But it's an yeah. interesting. It is. Avenue to think about. It is. Isn't it? Might, might, that might be a good, uh, a good finisher for this episode. Right. Well, listen, we, we didn't go to the war books, but we that's didn't. okay. I feel like we don't want to cheapen it by shortening that. That's right. We can save that for another day. Mm. And, and I can uh, do some more reading. and Do some more reading, that's yep. right. Yes. That's good. All right. We'll finish it well, there. Well, if there's a banter, is that, is that what we're looking at in terms of banter? Yeah. How do we? How do you? How did you finish first episode? Have you got a normal way to finish? We just said that's it. We kind of looked at the camera and then and then just pressed, clicked off. Press stop. It's, it's a typical podcast one to ten days. Yeah, where well, this is the point where anyone out. listening is now press stop. That's right. No they're one gone. Is still they're gone anyway. Point. Yep. There's nothing that's interesting right. to say. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Robert. Thanks for being on the show.